Welcome to Element Church. I'm so glad that you are here today. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element, and I have the great privilege of uh, speaking to you today. So whether you're joining us in person or online, uh, we're so thankful that you are here today. How many of you have ever taken a personality test before? Anybody take a personality test before? How many of you love those things? Okay, some of you, how many of you hate them? Absolutely hate personality tests. Okay, well, I, I would fall somewhere in the middle, I suppose. Uh, several weeks ago, Pastor Derek, our executive pastor, he had our entire church staff take a personality test. Now, I am usually very skeptical of that kind of thing. And the funny thing is that the personality test, it, told, it said that I am very skeptical of that kind of thing. So uh, it pegged me exactly. And when I finished this personality test, it told me that I have a type of personality that is usually very skeptical of anything that lacks factual data, okay? It said that about me. That was the exact language that it used, but it, it pegged me exactly. And when I took this personality test, one of the uh, funny things about uh, when I took it compared to anybody else on our staff, it, this didn't happen with anybody else, but it happened with me took the personality test, I hit submit, and then the, the system sent a notification to Pastor Derek immediately and basically said that I failed the personality test. <laughs> Did you know you can fail a personality test? Apparently I have no personality. That's what everybody on staff has, has been telling me. But nonetheless, it was remarkably accurate for me and for everybody else on our staff. The big idea for the message today is this. Attending church without connecting into it misses the point. Now we use that word connect or that word fellowship. It's a biblical word as well. We use that, th those words in the church often and depending on your personality type, that concept, it might make you cringe or it might make you really excited. And, and I believe at times that we may have an inaccurate concept of, of what uh, those words mean, connection and fellowship in the church. I have a video that I want you to check out, so uh, watch this video. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it? Network? Maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at shallow small group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey man, how's it going? Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Who wants cake? Come on again! And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. 
That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial, but hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group, because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? Oh, that gave me a good laugh. I enjoyed that as well. Uh, now, I hope you haven't actually experienced something like that. I hope, I hope our groups don't, uh, uh, don't, you know, aren't modeled after that kind of video. But uh, the truth is, is this. Attending church without connecting into it misses the point. So the big question that, that we want to ask today as we look into the scripture is this. Why should I connect in the church? Main scriptures, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, if, if I had to pick three of the most important chapters of the New Testament, Acts chapter 2 would make the list. Jesus, at this point in the story, in the book of Acts, Jesus has already been crucified. Jesus has risen from the dead, and at the end of 40 days, he leaves his disciples and ascends to heaven. Ten days later... Jesus sends the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in the hearts of the believers and gave birth to the New Testament church as we know it. In the first part of Acts chapter 2, 120 believers were meeting in a room when the Holy Spirit of God descended on that place just as Jesus had promised. It was a powerful moment. Those 120 believers were filled with the Spirit of God and God enabled them to speak in known languages so that the people who were visiting Jerusalem for Pentecost from all over the world, they heard them praising the name of Jesus in their own language and even their own dialect. This was absolutely phenomenal. Peter gets up and preaches a message and that day, 3,000 people turned to faith in Christ Jesus and were baptized into the faith. And by the way, these 3,000 people were Jewish. And by turning to Christ, they were turning away from the religion that they had known their whole life. This was a big deal, really big deal. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here today. There's two things that I want you to recognize in the message today. First off, these believers, these, these 3,000 believers, uh, and, and, and more specifically, the 120 that were there on the uh, day of Pentecost in the upper room filled with the Spirit of God, these believers, including the closest disciples of Jesus, they did not believe that Jesus was, was the Son of God before the resurrection. They did not turn away from their Jewish religion in order to join a new religion. They turned away from their Jewish religion and instead they believed in a person, Jesus Christ, who had risen from the dead. He was dead and now he is alive. He is the son of God. They did not believe before the resurrection, but they did believe after. Secondly, I hope that you'll see today a true picture of what the church can be and of what the church should be. Acts chapter two, 42 through 47, we get a look into the reality that these 3,000 new believers experienced. 
It's a look into the first Christian church. And as we look today into uh, the experience of the first New Testament church, I believe that, that we will see some answers to our question, why should I connect into the church? Number one is this, connection produces reinforcement. Verse 42 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Their faith was reinforced. And here's what I mean by that. Their faith in Christ Jesus was brand new. And, and therefore, they needed to grow in their knowledge and their understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus wanted to do in their life. And if you look closely at this passage, you'll see three things. The first is that they were searching. They were searching. They searched after the truth. They had the Old Testament scriptures, and they had the teaching and testimony of the apostles. The apostles were living out the great commission that Jesus had given them when he said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. They were searching. They were separated. They were separated. They had left their old faith in order to follow Jesus. To say yes to Jesus means saying no to sin and your old life. They were deeply committed. Their turning to Christ had serious ramifications and they were serious. They were serious. When you are serious about something, you're frequent, right? These believers, at least in this account, they met together daily they studied daily. They grew daily. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to start attending church every day of the week, but our frequency with anything speaks to how serious we are about it. About nine years ago, uh, our church was uh, just about one year old. And at that time, uh, we were moving into this facility. We had outgrown the movie theaters that our church started in over at the uh, Carmike Movie Theaters at the Frontier Mall. We were moving into this facility and we had to do a remodel in order to make this space work for a church. And since then, we've done a real remodel and have kind of redone the whole thing and it looks about a thousand times better than that first remodel. Now, I can say with confidence, I can say with confidence that that first remodel included some of the sketchiest craftsmanship ever. I can say that with confidence because both Pastor Jeff and myself were hanging drywall and laying carpet, okay? Uh, we can be very thankful even for our own safety that those walls do not exist anymore and that carpet is gone, praise Jesus. And at that time, we could only afford to hire professionals for a couple things. We could afford professionals to do the electrical work because we're dumb, but we're not that dumb, right? And, uh, and then we could afford, rather we had to figure out how to afford to pay for some professional drywall folks to come in and do the finish work on our drywall because we did such an awful job at it. And before the professionals came in, uh, when you'd look at some of these walls that we put up and did the drywall and everything, there were some sections of drywall. I'm not, I'm not joking at all. There were some sections of drywall. You'd walk in and look at it, and there, were, there was like a line of 30 holes in a straight line, followed by one screw that went through the drywall into the stud. You already know what I'm talking about, some of you. 
Well, that's where Pastor Jeff was trying to find a stud, you know, just kept, no, it's not there, not there, not there, just keep going. It didn't help the matter that half the studs in the wall were not square, they were all crooked like that, and so we were just, it's, it's amazing we survived as a church, absolutely amazing. And uh, this is purely coincidental that at about that time, we made the strategic decision to have Pastor Jeff focus his efforts on preaching rather than things like, like uh, dry, I was kind of, why don't you come over here and just do this preaching thing and, and we'll get some other people to hang a drywall. Well, reinforcing our faith is, is kind of like that. Our, our faith needs to be anchored into the truths of God. Just like drywall should be anchored into a stud of a solid wall. But sometimes this searching process, this reinforcing process, it's messier than we'd like to admit. It sometimes takes 30 attempts to yield one spiritual breakthrough. So let me give you some some practical thoughts here. The first is this, attend church regularly. Attend church regularly. Now, I don't want you to come to church because you feel guilty, and, and I really mean that. However, if you only attend church once a month or a couple times a year, you can't be surprised by stagnant spiritual growth. And, and that, that could be a really easy next step. Go from, go from two times a month to three or four times a month. And I'm telling you, it'll really be a blessing to you. Another idea is join a group. Join a group right now. Uh, we have about 30 options for you to join a group. We have some fantastic groups out there for you to be a part of. And there is a special power in a group of people coming together to study the scripture together. You need it and I need it. We need it. And, and for those of you that are maybe a little bit further along in your faith, groups, I'm telling you, groups are the most intentional and strategic way in our church for you to help other people take their faith to the next level. It just is. And, and, and whether that means you leading a group, or even if that just means you coming alongside someone and attending a group with someone that, that really desperately needs it, I'm telling you, it can be a great blessing to your faith. Another idea is personal study. Pastor Jeff often says, if you're engaging in the scriptures only on a Sunday at church, you are a malnourished Christian. And let me just, just say, you know, a couple simple ideas here. If, if you've never really read the scriptures on your own, start somewhere. Start somewhere. And, and out in the lobby, there's a table with some Bible resources on it, 100% free of charge to you. You can grab a Bible off there, devotional, Bible reading plan, anything. Please take it and, and start somewhere. Don't, don't start reading 10 chapters a day, okay? I, I would not recommend you doing that, but start somewhere and God will use it to bless you. Also, if you feel like you're stagnant in this area, try something new. Uh, just recently, someone gave me a book that, uh, that is called As Kingfishers Catch Fire. It's a collection of uh, about 40 sermons that Pastor Eugene, uh, Eugene Peterson preached over the course of his 40 or 50 year ministry. And it's, it's in written form. And so I've added that to my quiet time in the last several weeks. And it's just been a massive blessing to my quiet time in the last few weeks. So uh, if you feel like you're stagnant, uh, maybe try something new and it could be a great blessing to you. Attending church. Without connecting into it, misses the point. So why should I connect into church? Well, connection produces reinforcement. And secondly, connection produces responsibility. Verses 44 through 46 say this. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property 
and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, let's first talk about what these few verses here do not mean. Uh, First off, this is not a prescribed method for church structure, and it's not meant to be either. So for anyone to take this passage, and just because it says they met in homes, to to take this passage and to say that house churches are the only biblical way to do church is not only idiotic, but it is simply a wrong interpretation. It's not even meaning to, to say that. Secondly, it's a mistake to adopt communism based on this passage. That might be kind of funny to you, but it's, it's actually 100% true. These verses do not mean that everyone, need, that everyone in the room that owns property, property, you all need to sell it and bring money to people that have less than you. That's, that's not at all what this passage means. In fact, these believers, these 3,000 believers that, that it's talking about here, they were from all over. They did not live in Jerusalem, but they happened to be in Jerusalem in order to celebrate Pentecost, which was originally a Jewish celebration. And and scholars agree that these visitors to Jerusalem who turned to faith in Jesus, they stayed in Jerusalem longer than they had planned, and therefore they had more needs. And in addition to that, there's a very good chance that these 3,000 believers had immediately experienced persecution because their faith in Christ. Their needs were part of the local situation, okay? So what's the principle that we learn here? Several actually, but here it is. These believers, they possessed a sense of responsibility for one another. Property owners valued, pro- they valued people over property. And there were actually property owners in that situation. They, they sold their property in order to meet the needs of people in that local situation. In short, they cared for one another. They genuinely cared for one another. A, a colleague and mentor of mine who's actually a, a pastor at another church He tells a story of a married couple that came to him for some advice on their son, who was about 20 years old. They came to this pastor and and they said, our son has a problem. Everything was fine before he went off to college, but he went off to college and he got involved in the wrong crowd. And then he flunked out of college, uh, quit going, quit trying. He moved back into the house. He's not looking for a job. He's lazy doesn't have a job, doesn't seem to have any desire to get a job. He eats all of our food. He sits on the couch, plays video games, and smokes pot with his friends. Our son has a problem. And this pastor wittingly kind of responded to the married couple and says, your son does not have a problem. He has the life. And if you'll make that deal with me, I'll move in with you too. (laughs) Well, this pastor went on to to talk with a couple, pray with them, offer some advice and so forth. And uh, the couple took the advice that the pastor had given them. They they go home to their house. They meet with their son and they they tell him, uh, you can stay here, but you, you need to look for a job and find a job and you need to pay rent. And if you choose not to, then we will kick you out. The choice is yours. The son continued to be lazy 
uh, did not find a job, and so the parents kicked him out. The son went on to live on, uh, live on the couches of several of his friends in their homes and apartments, and eventually they grew tired of him as well, and they kicked him out as well. And on one cold, wet evening, the son returns home and talks to the parents, can I come in and stay? And the parents ask, do you have a job? Have you, have you found one? Are you done doing drugs? And the answer was no. And so he slept in their front yard that morning, that night. Several days later, that son knocks on the, the door of the parents' home and says, I got a job interview. So the parents brought him inside. They, they made sure he had clean clothes, uh, allowed him to get cleaned up for this job interview, and he landed that job, started working, went back to college, and to this day has a family of his own that he provides for. Now here's what I'm getting at. The sense of responsibility we have for one another it goes so much deeper than financial help. So, so what does this principle mean for us today? A couple ideas here. The first is this. Our generosity as believers, it should be natural. It should be planned. It should be common. It should be voluntary. And it should be joyful. We see that in this passage and throughout the scriptures. Many of you in the room, you have the ability to meet financial needs around you, and some of them you should say yes to. And some of them you should be more creative with. And dare I say, some of you you should say no to. And some of you in the room, you want to be generous financially, but until you have a plan, i.e. a budget, four-letter word for some of you, right? And until you stick to it and stop living outside of your means, you'll never be able to be generous the way that you want to and the way that God keeps, keeps placing in your spirit, but you'll never be able to until you have a plan. And, and if that's you, uh, you need to go to the next steps wall today, click the button that says financial coaching, sign up, and we will connect you with someone to help you, and it'll be awesome. The second thing is this, understanding requires proximity. There will be around 1,400 people in church today, on site in church today. And I know a lot of your names, hundreds of your names, but I don't know all of your names, let alone your needs and your burdens. And let me tell you, you can't and you shouldn't have close proximity with everyone, but you can have close proximity with some. And so whether that is in a group setting or a volunteer team, or even a one-on-one -on -one kind of situation, unless I know you relationally, I will not know the first thing about how to help you and be a support to you. We, we must put ourselves in close proximity with other believers so that we can help one another and so that we can be helped as well. Attending church without connecting into it misses the point. So why should I connect in the church? The first thing is that connection produces reinforcement. Secondly, connection produces responsibility. Lastly, number three, connection produces revival. Verse 47 says this. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their number, uh, added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
an undeniable fact is that their connection to one another became evangelical. They were not satisfied to remain the same size and they were not interested in keeping their intimate group to themselves. They grew consumed with reaching the lost. And and notice, it was God who added to their number daily. They had a responsibility in the matter, but God is the one that blessed their their evangelistic efforts and produced new life in their church. In John chapter 17, this is phenomenal. Blew my mind when I came across this weeks ago. Jesus was on his way to die on the cross for the sin of humanity. In John 17 is the prayer of Jesus to the Father on behalf of those who believed 2,000 years ago, those who believe today, and those who will believe in the future. John 17, 20 through 23 says this. It is phenomenal. I am praying. This is Jesus praying to God the Father. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will be one. Catch this right here. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and love them as much as you love me. Whoa. Wow. Did you you catch that? Jesus compares in his prayer to the Father on his way to the cross. Jesus compares the unity of the Trinity with the kind of unity that we ought to have with one another in the local church. That is remarkable. The unity we have with one another and the unity we have with the Lord Jesus Christ will send a message to the world of the great love of God. Wow. A few days after Pastor Jeff came back from sabbatical, he took, us, he took our staff on a, a relatively short drive up to a ridge on the north end of town that uh, overlooked the city of Cheyenne. And he kind of jokingly told us, he said, you know, if you have spouses, this might be a, a good place for you to bring your spouse and have some fellowship <laughs> later on. I'm not sure if I should share that with you. There's going to be a bunch of cars on that ridge with element stickers <laughs> on the back. It'd be awesome if you're married. Yes. All right. Well, on a serious note, uh, we really did go on this drive. And, and he told us this, this whole time, and we're a talkative bunch. He said this whole time, this whole drive as we drive through the city of Cheyenne and you look around, nobody's allowed to talk. Okay. And then he, he told us and challenged us, uh, I want you to, as we drive through the city of Cheyenne, as you experience the whole town around you, I want you to pray this prayer. God, what do you see? And so we did that. Went through town, prayed this prayer. God, what do you see? We got up to this ridge and got out and we shared with each other some of the things we felt the Lord uh, just press into our, our spirit. And uh, it was awesome. And one of the things that, 
that I did not share with, with the staff then that I felt the Lord uh, speak to my heart that I'll share with you today was a number. 6,000. 6,000. I don't know what that means. I don't. You know, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that, that God said exactly this. Okay, because I, I, I don't know that. But uh, I just felt prompted in my spirit. And so I prayed in that moment. I prayed, Lord, I pray there will be a day that I see and experience with my own eyes where 6,000 people would be a regular number in our church. Prayed that prayer. And that was it. You know, haven't told anybody that until now. That was it. I don't know. You know, what, what will God do with that? I don't know. But I know one thing. All of us in the room have different feelings about what I just said. We all do. Now, some of you, depending on your personality, you know, some of you are like, yeah, 6,000. That would be awesome. Right? Some of you more analytical folks like myself are thinking, well, how many parking spaces are we going to need? <laughs> the ratio is this. We need, all right. How much square footage does a children's space yield to get, you know, what do you, all that stuff. You know, that's how I think. Some of us are, are, are cynical, right? Here we go. It's all about the numbers. Some of you maybe are, are critical even. This church already has enough new faces every week. I want a church that's small enough so I can know everyone every single week. Sometime this week, I challenge you to do the same thing. Drive along Story Boulevard and pray that prayer. God, what do you see? What do you see? Because let me fill you in on a reality. It's a reality that we talk about often. You, you know this. But according to surveys and statistics, factual data that if you're like me, you can appreciate, there are 55,000 people in Laramie County that do not know Jesus as their Savior. And consequently, if they die without Christ, they will be in hell for eternity. That is what evangelical Christianity believes. That's what the scripture says. So believers in the room, when we are struck with that reality, anything but a fervent desire to help them come to know Jesus the way that we know Jesus is anti-biblical and frankly, anti-Christ. It goes against everything Christ lived for. It goes against everything he died for and certainly goes against everything he rose from the dead for. We need the church to be less like a grocery store and more like a maternity ward in a hospital that sees new life every week. And I'm telling you, when the church does not possess that kind of evangelical passion, then God help us. What happened in the upper room on the day of Pentecost with those 120 believers, it did not stay there. Didn't stay there. And I'm telling you, when real connection happens in the church, revival of souls, it happens. God will add to our number. He will. Attending church without connecting into it it misses the point. And listen, I do not say that as an indictment. I say that as an invitation because I've experienced it. God's changed my life with it. And I know he will change yours because connection in the church, it can and it will produce reinforcement. It will produce responsibility. 
and it will produce revival. Would you pray with me? Father, in heaven, Lord, forgive us for treating the church like a grocery store, a place that we simply come to when it's convenient. I pray, Jesus, that we would engage in your church so deeply and so passionately that you would radically change us. I pray that our love for one another would be modeled after the unity that you have with the Father. And we pray, oh God, we pray that you would add more souls to your kingdom through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.